Welcome, tennis fans, to KickServeRadio.com, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, featuring former world number one and seven-time Grand Slam champion Matt Spielander, former Texas Longhorn, two-time All-American Johnny Levine, and your host of KickServeRadio.com, Andy Zoden. KickServeRadio.com is presented to you by SquadPod, committed to protecting your privacy and your business. Communicate safely with SquadPod. And Bracket, spelled B-R-A-C-K-I-T, an interactive mobile game where being aligned with celebrities and athletes has a nice payoff for you and charity. Take it away, AZ. And take it away, I will. Welcome, everybody, to the 2021 season debut of Tennis Channel Podcast Network's KickServeRadio.com. I'm your host, Andy Zoden. I am joined by our superstar, former seven-time Grand Slam champion, former number one in the world, Mats Vlander. Mats, you're in Idaho. It's January. It's 2021. It's snowing like crazy. You're excited about a big ski trip. Tennis is the furthest thing from your mind right now, but here we are. Yeah, no, we're finally getting some snow here in, sun, in the Sun Valley area. And um, one of the reasons we moved here, of course, is to be able to ski on a big powder day. So canceled a couple of lessons uh, because of this. And um, the lessons are on me when I cancel it for skiing. So I hope no one hears me saying that. Yeah, be quiet about that. And Johnny Levine, our resident two-time Longhorn All-American from the University of Texas many, many years ago down in Phoenix, Arizona. He's got mixed feelings right now. His Arizona Cardinals should have made the playoffs, but they didn't. But his Phoenix Suns came to Denver, got a win over my Nuggets. Uh, How's uh, sports fan life down in Phoenix right now, Johnny? People are pretty excited, Andy, about the Suns right now, a lot more than the Cardinals. They, They sure started out the season pretty good and just didn't finish real, real strong. And uh, unfortunately the great Kyler Murray got hurt at the end uh, of last week and it kind of splintered into this last Sunday. And so unfortunately they're out and it's, it's kind of a shame. Yeah. Well, you get to hang your hat on your Los Angeles Rams now because you're, you're, you're kind of going between Phoenix and LA. So you really, it was kind of a, kind of a win-win for you last week with the Rams and the, and the Cardinals. All right, guys, Here's what I thought we would do now that we're in 2021. I saw an article here, Matt, on one of the Eurosport websites. And, of course, Eurosport is uh, where you do a lot of your great work with the Grand Slams and, uh, and some of the Masters 1000s. And so I thought what we would do, if it's all right, is sort of talk through some of the questions that they pose. And the first one, ironically enough, is something that I think you would probably want to comment on Matt, because you made a little bit of a splash last year at the French open in talking about this person and the question being posed by Eurosport, will Andy Murray win again? Um, well, will Andy Murray win a tournament again? I don't think he can win a grand slam. I really think that uh, those days are gone. I think we're playing seven matches in two weeks is impossible in his situation. Uh, but will he win a tournament on the ATP Tour? Well, that's the big question. Is I don't think that Andy Murray can show up to a tennis match not absolutely needing to win and hating to lose and showing that emotion. Uh, and without that emotion shown, I, I don't feel like he could play his best tennis. And I know I got a lot of... Uh, um, I got in trouble basically saying let's just call it what it was hate mail 
Yeah, it was hate mail. Well, Andy Murray <laughs> played Stan Wawrinka. Andy Murray against Stan Wawrinka, first round at, at the French Open. I mean, that's a popcorn match. That's the best match of the tournament. And and it just seemed like Andy Murray, I know he's good enough, but he didn't really show up emotionally. And I said something that maybe he, he should be, you know, considering maybe not taking a wild card if he emotionally is not invested. Uh, and I'm a huge Andy Murray fan, so it was never meant to be any kind of criticism in that way. But there are young players out there that are dying to grab a wild card in, in these majors. And uh, if your name is Andy Murray, I think you better go, you better show up emotionally, show, show that you really care. And I felt like he didn't do that at the French Open. And I really hope and wish him good luck for the Australian Open. In baseball, Matt, when a guy still has some tread on the tire, but he's gotten a little bit older, he doesn't move as well as he used to, but he still hits the ball well. He hits for average. He can still field. They move him to first base. I think that the tennis equivalent for that for Andy Murray, based on some of what I saw from him last year, was to maybe gravitate over to maybe playing a little bit more doubles. And I asked you about that, and I said, you know, from what I saw, Andy Murray's a pretty good doubles player. And you said, no, Andy Murray's a phenomenal doubles player. Yeah, absolutely. I think that I thought he was going to come around and play with his brother, Jamie, a little bit. Um, and uh, they would be an exceptional team. And I think they could be fighting for being the, the best team in the world, actually. But it's funny, you can't hide in tennis. And, and, and if you could, I would say that I'll take Andy Murray at 1530. Uh, I'll take Andy Murray's return of serve and, the, and the, the ability he has to keep the ball in play and make you hit that extra shot. But, but uh, I'm not sure that... Um, We'll see him win a tournament. I hope so, because I love the way he plays. And I love the way he acts on the court. Uh, sometimes maybe there's a swear word in there that he could have kept to himself, but that just shows he cares. Johnny Levine, the year 2020 ended with Roger Federer winning 20, having won 20 majors, Rafael Nadal having won 20 majors. Now the question is, based on when Roger may or may not come back, does Rafael Nadal in the year 2021 move ahead of Roger Federer on the all-time major championship list? I think he will, Andy, because it's already been announced that Federer is not playing the Australian. So the next slam after that will be the French. And Rafa's a huge favorite to win his, would it be 14th French now? That's right. And 21st major. So, I believe that it will happen if he, for some fluke reason, Rafa doesn't win the French, then, you know, maybe Roger can pull off a Wimbledon or U.S. Open. It's, 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 he's always a threat too. I mean, he's, he, he could, I don't think he will, but he could, but again, I'm going with Rafa to win the French Open and, and, and take over the top spot for Grand Slams at 21. What do you think, Andy, about Novak Djokovic? We, we thought he was going to win more than uh, both Roger and uh, Rafa, at least I thought so. Um, what do you think? Is, is Novak going to come back now? That, or does this give Rafa an extra injection that I'm there, I could become the greatest player? Because I really don't think Rafa thought about being the greatest player of all time with Roger being up there and Novak pushing from behind. But now he's got a chance. What about Novak, Andy? Well, I think that's one of the questions that's on this list here is that will Novak Djokovic dominate again? And, and my thought is, well... You know, I kind of agree with Johnny that Roger Federer is a, is a bigger question mark than he's ever been. And when I think about Novak Djokovic, my question in my mind is, what is he more concerned about? Is he more concerned about the two guys 
that are in front of him, Federer and Nadal, or is he more concerned about the young up-and-comers that are on his heels, the Dominic teams, the uh, uh, Stefano Tsitsipas's, the maybe Nick Kyrgios, we like Yannick Sinner, and I would then, Matt's defer back to you to say you're the guy that's the expert on calling these major championships. Are the young guns more of a threat to Djokovic than the guys that he's been chasing all these years? That's a great question. And actually, I did an interview with Boris Becker, who also works for Eurosport for the German version. And I, I asked him at the Australian Open a couple of years ago, and he thought that the younger players have an easier time against Novak because his game, uh, it doesn't have the variation of Roger Federer. Uh, he doesn't have the spin of Rafa Nadal, nor the, the sort of that fighting, uh, fighting spirit, at least on the outside. And he plays more of a modern game, but he doesn't overpower the younger guys. And, and he said that the younger guys feel like Novak's ball doesn't really hurt them and they can stand there and they can rip it. Uh, and uh, and that's a big difference from the junk that Nadal throws at you or even Roger Federer. So I think that I, I like that. I like what you, your take on Novak being worried about the guys behind. I think you're right. I think Rafa and Roger are not so worried about them. I think they're looking because they're ahead. You know, they don't have, they have to win one more. That's it. One more and they're most probably going down as the greatest ever. So Johnny, when you look at this crop of young players, and there are two guys that I know that you've seen a fair amount of. Who do you suspect has a better year between Andre Rublev and Diego Schwartzman? I think Rublev has a little more pizzazz to his game and, and has a little more of the ability to, to consistently beat some of the top guys. I think Schwartzman is going to get outplayed by, by the big boys, whereas I think Rublev can hang with them better. Schwartzman really was able to get to the top 10 by beating most everyone behind him. He, he did have that win over Rafa at the Italian Open, but he, but he doesn't have a lot of big wins in the top five. He doesn't beat those guys on a consistent basis. So I think Rublev has more of the ability to, to get the bigger upsets. And so I, I would have to go with Rublev, even though you know I'm a huge Schwartzman fan. Matt, before we go to break, uh, I spoke about Diego Schwartzman and Andre Rublev. They were the two that sort of rounded out the field in London, the guys that had not been there before. But there was a guy that won impressively at the end of the year that I think can probably be mentioned in a conversation with those two. And that's a guy that you were speaking of in glowing terms all year long. And that, of course, is the Italian player Yannick Sinner. And we've got so many great Italians that are coming up and playing so well, be they Berrettini or Sinego, but Sinner seems to be the guy that you seem to have identified as the guy that is probably going to win at a real high level before any of these others. Is it time to throw him in with Schwartzman and Rublev? Yeah, I think so. I really do. He's so mature. He's got a huge game. Um, he's going to have a big serve at some point, maybe not necessarily now, but he serves big enough to get some free points. His ball striking ability is incredible. And his movement around the court, he's, he's not as fast as Novak Djokovic, but it's pretty close, the flexibility and the movement. And it's very interesting how they the Italians uh, felt so strongly about not only Yannick Sinner, but their tennis in general, that they, they have taken the ATP finals to Italy which is incredible with Matteo Berrettini, Yannick Sinner. There's a few more in there uh, that are coming up. And, and so they must feel something because that could be an absolute huge tournament 
if Italians qualify for it. So it's a big risk, but I do think that everybody knows uh, in Italy that Yannick Sinner is not going to go anywhere except to the top. And that's not because of the physical part, because you can't predict the physical part, but you can predict somebody's mental stability as a, as a professional tennis player. And, uh, and he's got that. There's anybody that knows anything about mental stability on the tennis court at a high level. It is Matt Lander. When we come back on the season debut of kickserveradio.com, part of Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I want to talk a little women's tennis. There's some very intriguing questions in the women's game. And on the political side of the men's game, Matt, you in particular may have some insights into what's going on with a new and budding organization that I want to ask you about. But uh, in the meantime, we'll go to break. Don't go away. Be right back. It's the season debut of kickserveradio.com. Okay, everybody, you've heard us talk about Squad Pod on the show quite a bit, and I'm now joined by Melise Michael, and he is the product manager for Squad Pod. And Melise, tennis professionals at private clubs with their students, they like to use Facebook to communicate. So tell us a little bit about why Squad Pod might be different from something like just using Facebook to communicate. Yeah, thanks for having me, Andy. So SquadPod is designed and built around something we like to call closed architecture. Everything you do in SquadPod stays confidential in our U.S.-owned and operated communication platform that's based out of Scottsdale, Arizona. Unlike Facebook, where anyone can kind of find your pages, view your discussions, and even your photos, things in SquadPod are non-discoverable. And it's only accessible by specific people that you want to have access to that content. So it's private, it's confidential, and it's secure but how does SquadPod handle my data? Because you hear a lot about these companies that are willing to share it with other companies or even sell it. Yeah, so we don't mine or sell any of your data for predictive analytics or training or anything like that. What you'll find out there is a majority of the social media platforms are actually built on the opposite of what we are, which is open architecture and have no problem selling third parties, everything about you, your decisions, all your data. So within open architecture systems, privacy kind of becomes this illusion almost like a false sense of security. Seems like there's lots of options on the places that I use SquadPod. Help me understand what those are. Great question, Andy. So you can use SquadPod on and off the court with family or even for your business and at work. It's got chat, video, file sharing, and discussions all in one place. Best of all, we're committed to being 100% American made and protecting your right to communicate privately and securely. Yeah, I have to say, you know, I have SquadPod and I love it. And you know, learn more about privacy and, and squad pod at squadpod.com slash serve. So that's S Q U A D P O D.com slash serve S E R V E. And, and based on this conversation, I'd say that if you have Facebook, there's no reason you shouldn't check out squad pod as a new way to communicate safely and privately. I highly recommend it. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
Welcome back, everybody. Segment number two of the season debut of Tennis Channel Podcast Network's KickServeRadio.com, featuring the great Matt Zvielander, Johnny Levine, I'm Andy Zoden, and we're kind of taking a look at some questions that beg to be pondered as we move into 2021, which we are all very optimistic is going to be a much better year than 2020. Although, Matt, it was a good year in 2020 for Victoria Azarenka. Serena Williams is still chasing her 24th major. Here's a question for you. Which of those two would you suspect has a better chance of winning a major championship? Two moms, part of the the moms brigade. Uh, Who has a better chance of winning a major in 21? I'm not going to make many friends on this show, Andy. Uh Uh-oh, you never do. I have to go with Azarenka. I really do. I think that Serena, um, I think she can win because I think Azarenka will win. Uh, and I think Serena has a chance to win. I think Wimbledon is a good good place for Serena. Uh, but I think Victoria Zarenka uh, has a good chance of winning. I feel like there's a uh, there's some young players coming up, but there's a little bit of a vacuum after Serena uh, and after Venus, of course. And um, and I think that she proved it at the Australian Open that experience alone can take you really far uh, in the Grand Slams because there's so many young girls, you can call them, um, women, of course, but there's so many young players on the women's side that don't have the experience. And if it's a big match and, and you're up against a two-time Grand Slam champion, Azarenka, yeah, I think she can win one for sure. Okay. Johnny, as we look at some of the younger crop, I'm going to give you three names here of some players that have enjoyed tremendous success on the tour in the last few years. And I want you to tell me who's kind of strikes you as the one that in 2021 probably has the best chance to continue the great run that they've been on. I'll start with Naomi Osaka, but I want to throw Bianca Andreescu into that group, as well as Ashley Barty, who's, you know, one in the world and, and, and suddenly sort of forgotten. Andreescu was hurt. Uh, I think Barty was, was being very careful with COVID. We saw Osaka really come out of her shell. She became an activist and a spokesperson on the tour, won the U.S. Open in pretty dominating fashion. Of those three, who's your favorite to end up on top of the heap? Well, Andrescu, it's, it's hard to say. I know she's been out for quite some time. The 2019 U.S. Open, she won, obviously, and played incredible tennis. And you would think that uh, having watched her play in that final, that she would be the next great thing. And, and she very well could be because we haven't seen a lot of her since. And then Ash Barty, you know, has had a great couple years run with some slam victories um i think her game is maybe a little more susceptible to to not standing up to the top gals on a consistent basis just because you know she's got the one hander she comes to net i think i think she's a bit flashy she's a fantastic athlete a fantastic player but i think with the depth of women's tennis i just don't see ash barty dominating uh i see her being you know a consistent winner but I, I don't know that she'll be a dominant factor such as an Osaka can be the thing about women's tennis that's just so fantastic these days is how many great players there are you know you have Sviatek I don't I'm sure I butchered that name no that was actually fairly close yeah Svantec from Poland who who won the French I think she's a gal that will be that you need to put in that top five along with, with Kenan. So it's um, the women's game is, is, is just fantastic. It's, it's, it, there's so many different variations of these players and, 
different personalities, different styles of games. You can't omit Halep from that group. Let's pull the handbrake here, guys, for, for a moment. You said something very interesting there, Johnny. The variation of players and different styles. I mean, I'm 100% agreement with you. What happened? What happened to women's tennis? Because we've been talking about there hasn't been any variation for a while. Serena and Venus kind of took the game to the next level where, where coaches and players thought they should have to belt the ball as hard as they could all the time. And, and there wasn't great women's tennis for a few years. And then suddenly, the, the, uh, Bianca Andresco comes out and now Swiatek. I mean, Ash Barty, the variation is incredible. Of course, there's room for Naomi Osaka. And I agree with you, Johnny, that she can dominate. And Ash Barty, she does have a two-hander that's not very good. And she slices her backhand, but she could get overpowered by these girls. But but the, the variation is incredible in the women's game. And that's so exciting. What happened? How, where did that come from? I'd like to take a stab at that, Johnny, if that's okay. And that is, I was just, as you were talking about Ash Barty, I'm thinking modern day female version of Patrick Rafter all the way, man. Like way more of an athlete than a tennis player from a, from a purist standpoint, you know, you play Patrick Rafter, you better pack your lunch. You know, you play Ash Barty, you better do the same. That's the first thing I see in her. And, and Matt's maybe to answer your question as to what happened when you look at the, top singles players and the amount of doubles that it seems like they play compared to the amount of doubles being played by the top men. I think that's where you get your contrasting styles is because you get a lot of these players that do have great hands versus the players that have the big groundies and you've got the big tall, you know, sort of Venus Williams, Maria Sharapova types that are tall and big and can really hurt you off the ground and move really well and hit really big. And then you've got the more cagey players like a Barty, um, and, and an Andrescu, and you've just got some some fighters out there. But I think that the sport of doubles is actually creating a lot of variety on the single side. I mean, that's a lot of what you guys were doing when you were playing Matt, and you're certainly one of those who did that. Yeah, I think actually women's doubles is uh, – there's room for that in women's doubles, whereas men's doubles, you watch men's doubles, there's not much room for finesse anymore because they hit the ball so hard off of the return as well. So I think if you're a, ma- a male player – how much do you learn from playing doubles that you can use in your singles? I agree, way less because there's no time to, to hit sort of a, a proper first volley and angled volleys. It's, it's all about eye formation and crossing and, and slapping the ball all over the place. So, yeah, I actually think that's true. That's so cool because Ash Barty was an unbelievable doubles player uh, and the best player in the world in doubles. And then suddenly she, she came um, – onto the scene as a singles player as well. And, and yeah, I think she could, she could still be number one in the world in, the, in a couple of years. I think she's going to improve that two-handed backhand of hers. But at the same time, um, is why? Again, Caroline Bosniaki, there was another player who just quit last year, but there wasn't much variation. But she was kind of the next generation of great mover, great athlete, didn't have a lot of power, but stayed alive. Uh, and then you have Bianca Andresco, who moves incredibly well with power, with finesse um, and, and unfortunately injury problems. So, yeah, it's so exciting to see these uh, young women play tennis like that. And then one person that we would be incredibly remiss not to mention, who might be the best mover of them all, who was an absolute shining star in 2019, maybe backed off and had a tiny bit of a sophomore slump in 2020, also a great doubles player, and that's Coco Goff. 
So now the question becomes, Matt, and I'll start with you because I'd like to hear from both of you guys on this. What did you see from Coco Golf in 2020 that maybe was, I mean, let's call it what it was, somewhat alarming with regard to was that in her head? Is this a physical, technical thing with her serve? What did you see from her? Um, I think, well, we, she certainly didn't live up to the uh, expectations and hype that people put on her after that great run at Wimbledon, which I thought and uh, was vocal about it being completely wrong. She's 15. We got to leave her alone. If you leave her alone, Coco Goff will be the best player in the world. But if you don't, and we put pressure on her and she has coaches in both ears and, and uh, I'm sure mom and dad are, are, are great people. They seem to be great parents, but we also have to realize that Coco Goff has to kind of grow up and be her own person because it's going to show on a tennis court. And I think that she doesn't quite know who she is on a court, which is why she lost the rhythm in her serve. Should she go for second serve? Should she spin the first serve in? What is she supposed to be doing? You're not supposed to know at 15. And, and now there's a technical flaw. That's normal. So I think that she'd be out there. I just hope that uh, American tennis just backs off a little bit and doesn't talk about the next Serena or Venus Williams in Coco Goff, um, even though she's got, a, she's got a good chance. Johnny, you mentioned Sophia Kennan ever so briefly in talking about these young up-and-coming players. Now, she's a major winner, was in two major finals last year. Uh, do you suspect that she might be due for some of the sort of backing up that we saw from golf because of the expectations, or do you feel like she's got maybe a mental infrastructure that's a little bit more developed because she's in her twenties now and might be able to handle that pressure and continue the kind of run that she was on this year, this past year. I do agree with that, Andy. I think she's a little older, uh, not much, but she is older. And I think she's, you know, been to a couple slam finals. Now I think she, is due to consistently stay in the top 10, um, you know, and, and think about all this talk that we're having right now about all these great women players uh, with different, different styles of game. And we're not really mentioning Serena Williams. And maybe, maybe that's a great thing. Maybe, maybe with all these newcomers and great players and her ranking dropped a little, maybe it'll take some pressure off her. You can't count Serena Williams out yet for at least another 12 to 18 months. And maybe if she is not viewed as the favorite, which she has been in pretty much every match of her career, the last 15 years, maybe she will sneak one of these, these titles in and get, get her 24th grand slam. That would be fun to to see. Well, we started the segment talking about Serena, but I don't blame you for not listening to the whole show as we do it. So no problem with that. I have to start out this way, Johnny. I mean, because really, I, I was going to tell you, but I, I talked to Matt a little bit during the holidays about, about replacing you, and he suggested we give you another year, but maybe after today, I think this will be a good time to potentially revisit that. But let's come back in the third segment and talk about uh, some political situations going on in men's tennis that are usually sort of off to the side footnotes, but these are actually bigger stories than that. You're listening to kickserveradio.com on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. AZ, Matt, and Johnny, don't go away. Back right after this. Nestled in the spectacular Sun Valley area in Haley, Idaho, Matt's V-Lander Tennis allows athletes like you and me to train inside so that we can excel outside. Former number one and seven-time, yep, that's right, seven-time Grand Slam champion Matt Spielander now owns Gravity Fitness and Tennis 
And let me tell you, Gravity is the premier fitness and tennis club in the Sun Valley area. They have it all, including indoor tennis, lots of high quality training equipment in a clean and bright, spacious workout area. They have yoga and Pilates, as well as hydro options. They also have martial arts and something I had never seen before, TRX suspension training. But most importantly, let's talk about the tennis. You will be trained by one of the all-time greats in the sport of tennis. Time on court with mats is an amazing experience, one I assure you you will never forget. After my clinic with mats, every time I step on the court, I hear that focused intensity in that charming Swedish accent reminding me of all the techniques that improve my game and get results. So grab your family, your friends, or the whole tennis team and head out to Haley, Idaho for a tennis experience of a lifetime. Go to mattsvlandertennis.com to find out what's in store for you when you get to Gravity Fitness and Tennis in beautiful Haley, Idaho. Welcome back, everybody. Final segment of the season debut of Tennis Channel Podcast Network's KickServeRadio.com. I'm Andy Zoden. I'm joined by the great Matt Svelander, Johnny Levine, two-time Longhorn All-American. And we've we've talked a lot of men's tennis. We've talked a lot of women's tennis. And I want to ask you both, what is going to happen with the Professional Tennis Players Association? And, of course, Novak Djokovic withdrew from the elections of uh, the ATP Players Council. He was the president. His tenure as president was not without its share of drama and controversy. Now they're starting this new association. Matt, what is behind this and what it is intended to accomplish? Yeah, I think what's behind it is that we did it already in, uh, of course, it's been done uh, by uh, Arthur Ashe and Stan Smith and, and that generation when they started the ATP, the Association of Tennis Professionals. And really, they had no power. They were just trying to get together. And we had that boycott year of 1973 at Wimbledon. Uh, when Nikki Pilic, a great Yugoslavian player, wasn't allowed to play because he had he had played some professional tennis somewhere, and, and some guys, John Cordes, won Wimbledon. He played it. Uh, Bjorn Borg played, although he was hardly a pro. He's only 16 years old. Uh, they started the ATP, try to get the guys together. 1990 comes around, and uh, and we started the ATP tour because the ATP, just the players didn't have any power and the tournaments were run by federations and the USTA, they owned more than the US Open and French Federation owned a few tournaments. And then we, we broke away and from the Grand Prix circuit and started the ATP tour that the players were involved in running. I think now it's become so big that the players have 50% of the votes and then the tournament directors have 50% of the vote. Uh, and there's a, a tiebreaker in there that players, it doesn't go with players' way always. And I think the players are feeling like this tour is slipping out of their hands and they need more money uh, so that more players can be professional. Not more money to the top guys, but instead of having 250, 300 male players out there, there should be a thousand making a living, I think, in a, in a big sport like tennis. So I get it what Novak Djokovic is trying to do. Um, I think it's, it's correct in a way 
But I think we have to be very careful because of the situation we're in because of COVID. Is this the time to do this? Or is it time to pull together? Because professional tennis, let's face it, and I, and I want to ask you, Johnny, actually, because you obviously uh, run a tournament and, and own and run a tournament in, in Arizona. What's going to happen? Like, wh Where is tennis going to be on the map? Professional tennis. Wimbledon is fine. French Open, fine. US Open, no problem. What happens to the smaller tournaments now that, I don't know, are people going to come back and watch? What, what, what do you need to run a tournament? That's what the situation is. Well, I think um, that's still up in the air. Right. You know, you have a lot of tournaments right now. Um, Indian Wells just postponed. So they're not going to have their tournament in March when they usually would. You know, I was talking to Andy earlier today about the Del Rey uh, Beach, Florida tournament, which is a 250 that's, that's starting this week. And, and I haven't seen a draw out. And evidently, um, they're getting a lot of pullouts um, with people concerned about COVID. So with the cases the way they are in the country right now and, and the safety protocols that are out there and the liabilities of depending where the event is for my, my event, um, I'm the guest and I partner with a, with a country club and they have you know, their members there and they're not going to want to have people coming from all over the world into their club unless there's strict protocols. And, I, you know, it, like I said earlier on, on one of the segments, you know, it's tough enough to run a tournament for myself. I have, you know, an, you know, a business career and things like that. But to put in place all the 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 guidelines that the ATP and, and the state of Arizona that would require me uh, into a club that I don't, you know, don't have any control over is a very difficult uh, feat. And so I think there's other organizers like myself that are in the same boat. And until there's more certainty on knowing that your sponsors and your fans that, that are paying the good money to come out and watch that can actually come to the event and enjoy it, socialize and watch it. I think we're, you know, it's, it's going to be a, a tough road. Uh, I do see that happening in 2022 would be my my feeling is that that's when I think we can get back to the normal tennis tournaments that you see the fans going to. But I don't I, I think it's just going to be hit and miss until we get into 2022 on, on that level. I'm going to ask you both a, a, a follow up to that, because, Johnny, I was talking to Sarah the other day and she says that they've got these strict guidelines about the way they communicate with one another in certain types of language that the CEO likes them to use. And, and uh, when they come to one of their big meetings, um, he doesn't like for them to come to the meetings with problems or challenges. He likes those things to be considered opportunities. And that's the way you should phrase it. So I guess the question is, when you discuss the things that you're discussing right now about some of the other organizers, do you on one side of the coin feel like maybe there is an opportunity for you there to be one of the strong that survive if you do wait this thing out properly i mentioned to you that i've got members of my club that are like didn't see phoenix on the atp challenger tour we would love to go down there my sense is that would be one of the tournaments particularly having been down there and seen who all you had that would really be one of the most successful stops on the challenger tour. If you were able to wait this thing out and sort of lay in the weeds and pounce on this thing when it's time to come back and be one of the few challengers that would then maybe lead toward a successful opportunity. Yeah. I think that the ATP, uh, you know, I've heard rumblings that there are opportunities for, 
for folks to to put on events that have even a size of a 250 tournament with a short-term commitment um, because the ATP is looking for groups to come up with opportunities for players to make money. And um, if, if there's enough folks out there that, you know, especially if they have the money or they have the sponsors and they, they see an avenue to at least break even and get on the calendar and provide some jobs for, for the players and they get the enjoyment out of, out of putting on an event. Um, I think those opportunities actually could be there. I really do. I just think for my event, given that I'm at a country club and I don't have full control, I'm in a different situation. If I own my facility and I could, you know, kind of carry my own destiny, then I, then I think I'd be in a little bit in more of control. Matt, uh, this may be a tough question for you to answer because you're so close to the source and you would probably be a participant in this. But if it were you coming back into the sport of tennis, who would you think tennis fans would prefer to watch the younger, maybe less household names that would go to a tournament like Johnny's, which certainly created some household names and Matteo Berrettini and some other great players that were there, or perhaps some events similar to the power shares that you have played in playing in and amongst the guys that have gotten a little bit older, but people know their names, they recognize them. Do they want to watch Andy Roddick play anymore? Do they want to watch you? Do they want to watch John McEnroe? Do they want to watch James Blake? Do they want to watch the senior guys because it brings them back to tennis that they recognize? I don't think so, Andy. I think that um, there is a, a place for uh, the older guys, and for sure uh, I don't necessarily see the – ATP champions to a growing in the in the near future. I think that uh, we have to get back to basics. I think there's so many great young players these days. I feel like tennis before COVID hit. I think tennis was was ex- exploding, and there's so many more young players coming. And this COVID thing really uh, stopped everything in its tracks because you know that we finally have 18, 19 year olds that can threaten the best players in the world. And we haven't had that for a long time. And that makes it more exciting. Uh, so I think that, no, I'm willing to take a step aside. Um, and I think that tennis has become so physical and so business-like and so professional that I actually believe that when you go and watch tennis live, you're going to see something that you, I think, see when you go and watch a professional golf tournament. You can hardly tell the difference between a Dustin Johnson and a guy that's ranked 300 in the world on the, on the golf tour, uh, at least not us normal uh, golfers. We can hardly tell a difference. And I think tennis is going in that direction. There's a lot of young guys out there, and they are hungry. And they're even hungrier now since COVID because they haven't made a cent for the last 10 months. Guys, before we check out, for the debut show, 2020 was a horrible year. I, I don't need to reiterate that. We all know it. But a lot of really cool things happened, both on and off the tennis court. And we're sports fans. We're, we're fans of all sports. So I'm going to ask you, Matt, to start with, and then I'll go to you, Johnny. What was your favorite sports story away from tennis that really made 2020 a little less painful? So I'm I'm playing in this small golf tournament at the Riviera Country Club in Los Angeles, uh, and I'm stepping up. I step up in the first tee, um, and uh, I'm in the same foursome as Dustin Johnson. 
So I have a decent golf game, Andy. You see me play. You're so quite I a, good, actually. I have a good drive, and you're hitting off of the terrace, the balcony at the Riviera Country Club clubhouse. I'm so nervous right now. I don't even know if I can get, get this ball off the tee. So I hit a good drive. I hit a good second shot. This is a par five that, that the pros get on easily in two, and I got about 50 yards in. Now, at 50 yards, I go from being a left-handed golfer to a right-handed golfer. I've seen. I putt right-handed, I chip right-handed, and 50 yards is my maximum distance. And I'm laying in the middle of the fairway, got 50 yards in, and I'm thinking, okay, I can go left-handed, but then I most probably lay a, a sod of grass over the ball, meaning I hit it <laughs> and Dustin Johnson is standing next to me, or I go full swing right-handed, which I did, and I topped it, and I topped oh. it into the bunker, and Dustin Johnson comes up, and you know the way that he, he sways when he walks, and he, he, he looks like a gunslinger kind of thing. John and, Wayne. Yeah, and exactly, John Wayne. And he looks at me, and he says, man, you're all messed up. <laughs> you think I was able to hit a golf ball for the next three or four holes? No, I couldn't. And then I started playing really well, and he was such a nice guy. Now I know that he's a really nice guy, and he was trying to help me out, even though he thought I was all messed up. So Dustin Johnson winning the Masters, to me, is the biggest sporting event in 2020. There you go. Johnny Levine, big sports fan. We talked about it at the top of the show. Your Arizona Cardinals came up a little bit short, but you're a Phoenix Suns fan. But you're an NBA fan. What was your favorite moment of the year? I am an NBA fan. I've always been an NBA fan. Big one. Whoa, 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 whoa. Are you tall enough to play basketball, Johnny? (laughs) I did play a lot of basketball before I went full-time tennis. I've always loved basketball, Matt, even at my smaller height. But I have to go with LeBron James winning his fifth NBA title with his third NBA team. I think it was his fourth title, wasn't it? You're right. Fourth title. Uh, I think I'm thinking of Kobe, but... Um, Two with Miami, one with Cleveland, right, and then one with Right. Miami. So, so yeah. with three teams is, is uh, you know, is, is insane. But seeing, seeing what, you know, uh, LeBron James has is, is always been a great character, um, great character on and off the court, and to, to see him win his, uh, his fourth title, uh, you know, again, with three different teams was, was exceptional to me. That was, that was huge. Well, I noticed that nobody mentioned the men's U.S. Open final as their greatest moment of the year. I do have to tell one story, Matt, about Johnny playing basketball when we were in college, and he was on an intramural team. He was the number one player on our tennis team, and one of the guys, one of our opponents, got a little rough with Johnny, and so Johnny, when the guy was on a breakaway, went up and just absolutely pushed the guy to the ground and literally ran out of the gym and ran to the dorm without stopping. So he didn't actually, do you remember that, Johnny? When you pushed the guy and flew out of the gym, you, you had had it with this guy. He was you know, I, you up. That, that vaguely does uh, ring a bell, but I will tell you that it was my freshman year and I was having a great year as a freshman. I had just beaten Harmon. And SMU was ranked number one. And then the next day I was taking a class trying to get my grade point average up because it was pretty bad. I was taking a basketball class, I think coaching or something. We were on the court yeah. and I was playing and I, I jammed my thumb and I, I was oh. in a cast for two months. I had to have, almost have surgery. So that was the end of my year. But uh, so those are my basketball stories for you, Matt, for, the, you for the short guy. Nice. And my favorite story of the year, speaking of short guys, was right at the end of the year. And I don't think there's anybody in the world that watched this and did not fall in love with this story. 
the first time they laid eyes on the golfer, Charlie Woods, playing in that uh, PNC uh, family event down there with all of these great family you know, teams. And you had uh, Mark O'Meara and, uh, and his son, Sean, playing together. And you had Ju- uh, Justin Thomas and his father, uh, Mike, who won the tournament. And, uh, I mean, it was just an amazing thing. But Charlie Woods stole the show. Now, all of the years that we've watched Tiger Woods play golf, we all know that the ratings for golf are absolutely exponentially, explosively bigger when Tiger's out there. Nobody even watched Tiger Woods play while that kid was out there. He was absolutely must-see TV. He was a little mini-me of Tiger. He was such a little adult out there. I loved the way he conducted himself. I loved the way he handled the pressure, and I really like the process. And to think about who his father is and how Tiger interacted with his father for all those years, the joy that Tiger must be deriving from this relationship and watching that little boy go out and just be the absolute spitting image of his father. I mean, I'll ask the two of you because you've both got sons that are athletic and great guys. How much better does it get than that? Uh, I, I watched it. I was absolutely brilliant. Of course, uh, of course, uh, Minimi Woods' mom is Swedish, so there might be some of yes. that. Let's not forget that. <laughs> yes, yeah, he inherited some great genes there, Charlie Woods, from Sweden. But no, how fun is that to watch? It's interesting how in golf we have kids and sons and daughters that become great, and they even become great professionals, and their father or mother uh, we're a great professional. Why don't we have that in tennis? Why is tennis so hard? Why is it so hard to be a father uh, uh, and then have your son or daughter come out and be a great professional? That's, that's, it's not unheard of, but it's much, much harder. So, I mean, we think uh, Tiger Woods, yeah, Charlie Woods, he could be a great player because that happens in golf. Well, we got we, one of our guests, Taylor Dent, and his dad. That was quite a... That's a pretty father, good one. So, and, of course, yeah. we paid tribute at the end of the year to... Uh, to both Gordon Forbes, who Gavin Forbes, who's a dear friend of the three of us. And that was a nice father-son duo who had a lot of success in our sport for different reasons. And, uh, and for that matter, Alex Olmedo. And of course we talked about his daughter, Angie, who played uh, at TCU, a very dear friend of mine. And so uh, it was very nice to be able to pay tribute to those guys at the end of 2020, but this is 2021 and this has been the debut, and we've got lots of great things planned for you guys. Last year was incredible. Yvonne Lendl, Stefan Edberg, Andy Roddick, Chris Mad Dog Russo, Mary Carrillo. I mean, you name it. We had Jimmy Arias. We had all kinds of great guests. Joel Drucker, Steve Flink. Uh, it was a terrific year, but we've got great things planned for this year. And, of course, we're going to be uh, hitting you up, Matts, to, uh, to go deep into your Rolodex to make sure that that happens this year. But, boys, Great start to the year. Matt's, thank you so much. Johnny as well. This is Andy Zoden. I'm with Matt's Vlander, Johnny Levine. You're listening to the debut of kickserveradio.com on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. We are so proud to be a part of Tennis Channel, and we hope that you guys will stay with us all year long. We look forward to connecting when the tennis gets hot and heavy, and that will be soon. <laughs>